you, God, thank you so much that we are your children. God, for those of us who are first, in you, God, that you've covered with your blood. God, thank you for that access to you that otherwise would have been hopeless for us, but through your Son, Jesus Christ. God, be with us today. Give us, uh, give us open minds and hearts to your word today. In your name we pray, amen. You may be seated. And again, a happy Mother's Day to everyone. Good to see you here this morning. Um, I'm, I'm sort of cheating this morning. Um, we have been in the middle of a series of, of Joseph, and for a couple of weeks I've been thinking through some things that, well, back up. God's been working in me in some things, and I didn't feel like I should be convicted alone. And I thought, you know, this would be a, a great Mother's Day message, except it's not really just for moms. I mean, you're welcome to take as much away from it as you want to, but dads and kids and grandparents, anybody else, uh, this, this fits the bill. Um, would you put that first slide up there, Phil? We, uh, we are caught in a world where, um, as that last song said, we're, we're God's children. And children often should, uh, or whether they should or not, children imitate their parents. Uh, the acorn doesn't fall far from the tree. Good or bad. And we're caught in a world where on one side of us is humanity and we look at them and we often want to be like them. On the other side, we have a heavenly father and a cross that we're called to look at and, and we're caught in that dilemma of who do we look like? Who do we imitate? Who do we measure? One of the things I love about this body is that a lot of things goes on, go, go on behind the scenes that I don't ever think about or worry about or have to mess with. Um, one of those things is that uh, Mark and Kathy regularly have coffee ready. We just turn it on when we get here. Sometimes they're out of town for the week. Uh, and a couple of years ago, I was tasked with making coffee. And so that's easy. I've done it at home, right? Number of spoonfuls equals number of cups. And you put it in, turn it on, all's good. So I got out the big pan of coffee and got the scoop. And, well, this scoop looks like my spoon at home. It's round and it's got an indention in it, right? So we need 12 cups. We need 12 scoops, right? And I don't really remember. I, I know at some point in time we figured out that, that was wrong. And I can't remember if Dana made me redo it or she did it if y'all just drank motor oil that morning. I'm not sure. Um, but those scoops are like twice as big as the spoon at home. Um, we see, I, the problem was I was using the wrong measure. And in life, like with coffee, if you use the wrong measure, things aren't good. No matter how much you try to sweeten it, or no matter how much you try to mask it with cream, motor oil tastes like motor oil. It's not coffee. Now, I know there's probably some of you out there who really like it strong, and that doesn't bother you a bit, but for most people, double-strength coffee is a little much. So when you use the wrong measure, you get something that's not good. And this morning, I'm going to talk about how do we measure ourselves? What do we measure ourselves against? It's easy for us to look at the world and say, oh, I want to be like that person. 
we have, we have three problems. Number one, we use the wrong measure. Number two, some of us use the right measure, but we do it for the wrong reasons. And number three, we use the right measure, but we do it with the wrong empowerment. And I want to talk about those things. We're going to jump around this morning a little bit. Uh, we're not going to stay in the same place. We're going to begin in 1 Samuel. Then we're going to jump over to the New Testament and spend some time in Matthew and Galatians and in John, if that's enough back and forth for you. So our first problem is we use the wrong standard. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, um, Samuel's getting old. He has been a judge in Israel. He's getting old, uh, and his kids are corrupt. Uh, they're really not worth following. Samuel was worth following. His kids are not. And so the people have, have looked around at other nations and go, everybody's got a king. Samuel, we want a king too. This judge business is is not working out well, and you die, and one of your sons is going to be in control, and it's just not going to work well. We want a king. And Samuel says, well, now wait a minute. Let me tell you what's going to happen if you get a king. Right? He's going to take uh, the best of your land. He's going to take the best of your stuff. He's going to take your sons and daughters and put them to work or put them in his army or make them slaves. You really don't want a king. You've got a king. He's God. And they say, we don't care about that. And in 1 Samuel chapter 8, in verse 19, we read these very sad words. Nevertheless, the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel. And they said, No, but there shall be a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations, that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. They looked around. They wanted to be like the people that they saw. They thought, if we have a king to go with us in battle, we'll be good. See, because those people are successful. They're looking at an, an outward appearance of success. We say, I want to be like that person. And when we do that, we're missing out on, or we're measuring ourselves by the wrong standard. We do that too. We measure ourselves by the wrong standard. Sometimes it's this, this super persona of a person that we see in the media or on TV, we read about, that does everything. They raise kids. They raise animals. Their house is immaculate. Their husband is successful. They cook well. Everyone likes them. They've got a sense of humor. They're popular. And not only that, they write about it every day on, on the Internet and you can go and read their wonderful life and kind of feel worse about yourself and worse about yourself and worse about yourself. But maybe it's not even that. Maybe it's just someone that you know, an acquaintance, and they've got a gift or a skill or a talent. They do something and you think, that person's godly, and they do that thing. Oh, that, that must be what I need to do too, to be godly. I need to imitate that person so that I'm as godly as they are. It's not this super persona of somebody. It's just someone that you know that maybe even you look up to. And you think, if I'm going to be godly like that person, I've got to do what they do. And so we, we begin to imitate other people. Maybe it's, it's someone that's just in a different season of life than you are. You look at your life and it may be chaotic and you look at someone else's life and, and maybe 
either they're grown and their kids are out of the house, or maybe they're single and don't have any kids, and you go, oh, I remember when my life was like that, or I can't wait till my life is like that. Or maybe you've got teenagers and they've got little kids, and you're just, oh, I, I wish that my kids were small and you know things were a little more controlled. Or, or maybe you've got little kids and you see some little teenagers and you go, oh, I wish my, my life was like that and a little more controlled. Right, the, the, the season of life I'm in, I'm just not satisfied with. And I like someone else's life because I like their season of life better. I want to be where they are. I'm not content with where I am. And I wish that my life was like it used to be or my life was like I want it to be in the future. And so we, we look at those people and we say, I want to imitate that person. I want to do the things that they're doing, even if God has you somewhere else. The problem with that is, in all of those situations, whether it's this super persona, whether it's just an acquaintance, whether it's someone in a different season of life, you're not seeing the full picture. You're only seeing part of a scenario. And I promise that your flesh and the devil wants to make sure that your heart is unsatisfied. Because either your flesh, the devil, has painted a picture of someone else that's only good in your own defense mechanisms, and Satan hide all the stuff that they don't want you to see, and your flesh and the devil only paint a picture of yourself that somehow is inferior. You're getting the wrong image. It's not reality. When you seek to compare yourself to someone else, it's not true. Because you never see things accurately. You never know what goes on behind closed doors. We have deceitful hearts. And they will trick us into being discontent all the time. Because we're trying to measure ourselves by the wrong standard. Someone else. And if you focus on someone else, almost always, that's the wrong thing to do. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, in the Bible, Paul says to imitate me and to follow my example. That's right, he does. But if you look in the context of those things, it's, it's never about what Paul's doing. It's about the motivation behind what he's doing. For example, he writes uh, to the Corinthians that he wants them to imitate the fact that he looks foolish to the world for Christ's sake. That, that involves a lot of actions, but it's the underlying motivation. It doesn't really matter what anybody thinks. I'm doing what I'm doing because God's called me to do that. He wants them to follow his example of not doing anything for his own gain. So whatever the actions are, it's always selfless and not selfish. So it's okay to imitate someone if you're imitating their the motivation behind what they're doing. He tells the Philippians to imitate him or follow his example as he counts everything lost compared to knowing Christ. That's a good example to follow. That, and what that really does is, is it turns people's gaze to our Savior and not to really to Paul. He tells the Thessalonians to follow his example in 
the fact that he is joyful because of what the Holy Spirit is doing in his life in the midst of persecution. It's not an activity or an action or a status. What he's saying is, follow the fact that I've got a deep abiding relationship with Christ that undergirds everything else that I do. So if the standard is not other people, what is the standard? If the standard is not that super persona, it's not one of my acquaintances, it's not someone in a different life stage than me, then what's, what's the standard? Well, I've got bad news. It's, it's something that's harder to achieve than any of those things. The standard is Christ. The standard that we're to imitate, that we're to follow, is, is our Savior. It's Jesus. It's someone who loved perfectly, who loved sacrificially who always did the right thing at the right time, who always had the right words to say at the right time. That's our standard. Now, if you're beginning to back up and feel a little discouraged, just hold on because we're going to talk about that in just a moment. Because even though that's our standard, there's, there's some good news involved in that bad news. Because perfection really is the standard. God says, be holy as I am holy. The other problem is, with that looking around at other people, is we need you in the church, not two of somebody else. See, if, if you're seeking to imitate what someone else does because you think that's godly behavior, then the church is missing out on who you are. The church is missing out on your gifts, your talents, your skills. Now, that doesn't mean there's not ever any overlap. But if you're so focused on someone else that you think this is what godliness looks like, then we, all of us, suffer because you're not being who God has called you to be. We can't let others pressure us into doing what, what they think we're supposed to be doing. We should listen to encouragement, yes, all the time. We should listen to wisdom of godly people about how they view our gifts and skills. But we don't need two of you. We need all the individuals in this room to make this body function the way it's supposed to function. So our standard is Christ, not somebody else. But we have a second problem. Would you turn over with me to Matthew chapter 6? It's really the other side of the coin, right? And the first problem is our focus was on the wrong thing. Our focus was on the wrong measure with somebody else. We were using the wrong standard. Here, we've got the right standard. We say, okay, the standard is Christ. The standard is a relationship with Him. The standard is walking in godliness. But we're doing it for the wrong reason. In Matthew 6, Jesus goes through several scenarios. People are doing the right thing, but they're doing it for the wrong reason. Uh, they're praying. They're fasting. They're giving. But every time they're doing it so that somebody else will notice. They're, they're doing it for a pat on the back from somebody else. All those things are good. We should pray. We should fast. We should be generous with our gifts and our talents and our time and our money. 
But if you're doing those things so that someone else will walk up and say, hey, I appreciate that, then you're really missing out on a wonderful blessing because Jesus said, you have your reward. Now, I love you, but do you really want your reward to be someone in this room who's temporary, who's fallen? Do you really want that to be your reward, that a temporary, limited, fallen, corrupt human being who says, good job, do you want that to be your reward? I mean, we appreciate kind things, and we should say kind things to each other. We should say thank you. We should say how much we appreciate each other. But if, if I'm doing what I do so that you'll walk up and pat me on the back, that's a pretty limited reward. And what it does is it forces me to keep having to do and even up it because you're going to find someone else who does what I do better. Or you're going to find someone else who... Uh, tickles your ears in the right way a little better. You're going to find someone else who, who's a little more exciting, a little more attractive, a little more enthusiastic. And your praise for me will continue to go down because there's always someone who can do something better than us. Right? And so if you're dependent upon praise from men, that's a, that's a bad reward. And what it shows is, is you don't realize that your worth was loudly proclaimed on the cross. If you get nothing else this morning out of this, please remember that your worth, the statement of how much your worth was made on the cross. The God of the universe chose to die in your place that He might have a relationship with you. And so while I appreciate kind words, it pales in comparison to what God has done for us. And again, don't get me wrong, we should give kind words to each other. We should be an encouragement to each other. But are we always willing in that encouragement to point people to their real worth? You are worth something. 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 You are worth something because the God of the universe died for you. It's not because you perform some task. It's not because you look godly in front of other people. It's because He sent His Son for us. And so our motivation for measuring ourselves by Christ is ultimately for His glory, not for our own and not that anybody else may notice. Are we measuring ourselves by the right standard, Jesus Christ? And are we, are we engaging in that measurement for the right reasons, for God's glory? Because when we do it for our glory, that's a bad reward. There's a, a third problem. If you'll turn over to Galatians chapter 3. Paul writes at the beginning of, of chapter 3, he said, You foolish Galatians. How many of you want to be fools? 
for Christ maybe, but that's not what Paul's talking about here. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. There's a lot of things that are going on in Galatians. He he just wants them to answer one question and he thinks that's going to solve the issue. If you can answer this one question, we can get somewhere in your spiritual growth. Did you receive the Spirit by works? Or by hearing with faith? How did your spiritual life begin? Did you you muster up all the right energy and all the right effort and do all the right things and God said, Oh, there's somebody I can use. How did you begin the Christian life? Did you clean yourself up? Did Did you stop all your bad habits and then come to God and say, Okay, I'm ready. He said, did you begin by works of the law or did your spiritual life start by faith? See, and and he's a good lawyer. He knows the answer to that question. He knows what they'll say. Oh, well, by faith, of course, Paul. That's, duh. But the issue that Paul's dealing with is now not their beginning, it's their ongoing. That's what the Galatians is about, is about what's happening now. And so then... Right? He's, he's, he's fed them the line and they've, they've taken the bait and he says, Are you so foolish? In verse 3. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? What makes you think that if God had to start the process, that you can now just take over and, and have it run well? In the context of what he's just been talking about, he's told a story about about Peter and about the fact that he had bought into the truth that we're all one in Christ and he had begun eating with Gentiles and associating with people that used to be unclean. And then some Jews kind of came down to Antioch and, and he kind of began to be a little uncertain about that decision he'd made. And began to listen to other wisdom about how he was supposed to behave, and he began to withdraw himself from these people that he had said were clean, but now maybe he's not sure about. So the context before and then then after is, how are you making decisions? Is it based on someone else's wisdom? Or your own wisdom? And then how are you living? Is it in your own strength or is it in the strength of God, because he goes on and talks in chapter 5 about, are you walking in the flesh or are you walking in the Spirit? So, the first thing we need to think about in this, in this last problem is, is, how are we measuring up? What's the empowerment we're using? Are we using our own wisdom? Do we ever bother to ask God, is this what you want me to be doing? Or are you just assume because it's a godly activity, it's, what, it's where God has you? We should always be willing to ask. Today, God, here, what do you have for me? I think this is what I'm supposed to be doing, God. Is that correct? Is that the right thing? And it's as simple and as difficult as that. It's as simple because every one of us can get up and begin our day. God, what do you have for me today? And it's as difficult as getting up every day and saying... 
God, I'm going to die to what I want. What do you want? And it's as difficult as getting into the habit of doing that. Because if you're like me, sometimes the alarm goes off and then it's just, it's kind of, it's go, right? The day starts. And sometimes the day starts before your alarm goes off if you've got little kids, right? They're up before you are and, and that's, sometimes that's not a good thing. <laughs> sometimes that throws the whole day out of whack. That's not how I planned on starting. So while it is simple, it's also difficult. I understand that. But are we willing to seek His wisdom and not our own? And then second, are we willing to depend upon Him? God, I can't do today without you. And again, it's as simple and as difficult as that. Here's my day, God. I can't do it without you. The problem is, that's, that's, that's a fairly easy prayer to say at the beginning of each day, if we're willing to do it. The problem is, then we put two feet on the floor and life starts. The day happens. And we're fallible individuals. We're fallible people. And, and things happen and we react. And sometimes we begin doing like, like Paul says in Galatians, we begin walking in the flesh instead of the Spirit. And so it really is, it's an ongoing battle of dying to self and living to God. It's when we realize... Wait, I, my focus is not on God to back up and say, okay, God, this situation is not going the way I wanted. How should I respond? Or, or we've already walked in the flesh and we've raised our voice or we've had, we've entertained these thoughts of envy or jealousy or bitterness or anger or frustration or impatience or lack of contentment. It's, it's having something in our day to, to kind of wake us up and go, oh, Wait. That's not how I'm supposed to be measuring my life. I'm living like the world. I'm acting just like the world wants me to act. And that's the wrong measurement. And that's going to taste about as nasty as double strength coffee. I mean, regular strength coffee is just sort of nasty, but double strength coffee is really bad. And we don't want to look like that to the world. And so it's as simple and as difficult as going through each day and throughout the day saying, God, is, are, am I doing what I should be doing in the way that I should be doing it? Am I looking to the world for strength, looking to myself for strength, or am I looking to you for strength? So we measure ourselves by the right standard, which is Christ. We do it for the right reasons, which is the glory of God. And we do it in the right strength, which is Christ in us. We talked about in Colossians, the hope of glory. There's one more passage I want to look at. If you turn back to John chapter 8. Because really all that's impossible for us. just want you to know that. We are on this side of a redeemed body, incapable of measuring up to Christ's standard. We oftentimes do things for the wrong motives. And we oftentimes do things in our own strength. And it's a continual battle and it will be till the day we die. And that can be discouraging because there's still a standard. There's still an expectation. And in John chapter 8, 
Down in verse 31, Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Jesus is not talking about facts. He talks about truth. He's not talking about facts or things to know. He's talking about himself. The standard by which every other fact or every other thing or every other way we're supposed to live is measured against. And he says, if you know me as the truth, as the right standard, that will free you up. How is that possible? That's an impossible standard. The reason that it's possible is the good news of the gospel. None of us have ever been able to or will be able to meet that standard, but Jesus met the standard. He was the standard for us. The reason that it will set you free to know Christ is because you no longer have to fight to meet that standard. Someone did it for you. And then He offered Himself to pay the penalty because you can't, because you won't on the cross. And so while we look to Him as our measure, He accomplished the measure. Second, He did it for the right reason. Numerous occasions He said, I'm going to glorify My Father. Everything He did was for the glory of His Father. Everything He did glorified God. Again, what we failed to do, He did completely. And then He paid the debt that we owed because we didn't do it right. We didn't do it for the right reasons. He went to the cross that our debt, because we do things for our own glory, He took care of that on the cross. And finally, He did everything in the right empowerment. I and my Father are one. When the Spirit moved Him to do something, Jesus did it. The Spirit led Him into the wilderness for 40 days and He went. He obeyed. He never did anything by His own strength. If the Father says it, I do it. He was always doing things in the empowerment of the Godhead. And He paid the debt that we owe because we try to do things in the flesh. And that's displeasing to God. We don't depend upon Him. We depend upon ourselves. And so when we know Him, we're free to respond to Him. We're free to respond in thanksgiving. We're free to respond in love. We're free to respond in in giving ourselves away for other people. I don't have to meet a standard. God met that. And now I'm free to get out of myself and love the people around me. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. For God's glory. I don't don't need to accomplish anything. I get to respond to His love. I get to respond to His goodness. I get to respond to the cross of Christ. As I seek to, to care for the people around me. And I don't have to look at other people and go, is that what I'm supposed to look like? So my challenge to you is, 
Are you spending time with the Father, number one, so that you know what He looks like? So that you know what you should be imitating? And do you realize that when you do that, when you depend upon Him, He's pleased. But if you're looking at me for a pat on the back, I might give you one, but it's temporary and it won't last. Are you satisfied with what Christ has done for you? And are you willing to respond? As we go out of these doors this week, would you be willing to begin each day, God, what do you have for me? And whatever it is, will you empower me to do it? And then as you go through the day, as time marches on, would you... And maybe it is a, as a note on the wall. Maybe it's a, a reminder on your cell phone. Are you depending upon God? Are you allowing the Spirit to live through you? Or are you taking over and allowing the flesh just to... I'm just going to go through the motions. I know it's got to be done. I can do it. Or are you conversing with God throughout the day? I think if we, if we do that, the world will be less attractive because we're focusing on that which is most beautiful and most lovely. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank You for Your Word. And thank You for the example of our Savior who loved us completely who honored you completely with his life and who gave himself for us. Father, help us to be the people you've called us to be. For your glory, may we gaze upon you in your goodness. In Christ's name, amen. Would you stand with me?